Hey, what's up, YouTube world and the podcast world out there? Welcome to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is episode 136 here, and we are pleased to be bringing you this episode here on this Friday afternoon by the time you guys are listening to this of the release of the podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cato. Today, I've got only one of my fellow Backmarker hosts alongside me for this podcast, Mr. Tyler McDonald, joining us from Ottawa, Canada. Let's welcome him in now. Tyler, how are you doing today? Chris, good, good. It's uh, nice to be back doing a podcast here and uh, you know, lots of interesting storylines over the, uh, the past, I guess, two races for us, but uh, we'll focus more on uh, the last race, the Miami GP. But um, it's a uh, it's been an interesting little few weeks in Formula One and uh, hopefully we could see maybe uh, I'm going to say I'm going to hint at it a little bit of change coming uh, shortly to the grid. So uh, or actually the grid, the results, hopefully, but. Yeah, other than that, all's good. You, how are things with you? All is good here as well. Uh, just came back uh, just a few days ago, did a little bit of travels in uh, the beautiful parts of Bosnia and Herzegovina, visited Sarajevo and uh, nice city of Mostar, which was very interesting. So uh, yeah, it's kind of one of the perks about being situated in Europe is you can drive to these different places and it's not too, too far away. So I actually missed uh, many of the Miami Grand Prix weekend and only really got to see qualifying and the race. So uh, a couple of days passed, of course, the Miami Grand Prix. So we're going to talk a little bit about the race, and then we're also going to talk a little bit of other F1 stuff as well as we head into the next race at Imola. But uh, Shaker couldn't be with us today. He is uh, actually on a movie set and is very busy with his work. But he does send his uh, his greetings and his regards to our Backmarkers F1 fans out there. So uh, we'll catch up with him on the next podcast. But Tyler, let's get into the 2023 Miami Grand Prix. And this race, I kind of feel, was uh, really a divider amongst the fans because you kind of had one section of the F1 world that thought it was kind of a good race, a solid race, maybe not the most exciting, but still entertaining. And then you had the other half, which really disliked the race and was really kind of calling F1 for for the problems that we've had this season with the discrepancy in, in the in the top gaps between the rest of the field. And they really didn't like it. So I'm getting trying to interested about your take on this race. Where did you find it? Did you thought it was entertaining? Was it boring? How would you rate this Miami Grand Prix? Well, if uh, a driver in a car is watching TV as he's racing, Chris, I think that should tell you the entire story. I mean, Fernando Alonso was watching the race and was looking at Lance Stroll's overtakes on the big screens while driving a, a lap around Miami. So, um, in my opinion, it, it wasn't a great race. I mean, it was interesting to kind of see uh, the different, I'd say, teammate strategies play out, especially I was uh, interested in the Mercedes uh, on the, during the race, um, as well as the battle for the last points-paying position with Kevin Magnussen holding on with Yuki Sonoda and Lance Stroll very close behind. They had a nice little um, run near the end of the race that Yuki and Lance so, I mean, that's where most of my attention was paid to. Um, obviously, with Max charging up through the field, I, and I will touch on it quickly because it was a phenomenal job by Max, um, the way he managed the race. I think there's no doubt in that you, you can't say that the race was handed to Max. It, it wasn't. It, he did have to really fight for it, and he drove phenomenally on those hard set of tires, uh, especially through the middle point of the race to set him up for uh, an easy, easier finish to the end of the race. So full credit to Max for having a, a phenomenal race, but that's just the talent he is. And we expect that out of Max for stopping. Um, as you mentioned with the gaps in 
the teams. I mean, it, it, of course, the championship is still very close with Perez and Verstappen. Um, and with the winner, whoever would have won this race w- would have been uh, top spot in the driver's championship. But you, you do want to see – it almost looks like right now, Chris, we're not going to see another team win a race this season. And that's how I honestly feel about how far Red Bull are ahead. And, you know, that's, for me, not good for Formula 1. And I, Sorry, I'm going on a, a rant here instead of letting you chime in. But no, please do. Numbers came back. Numbers came back from the Miami GP for viewership in the United States, which is, reminder, key demographic for – Liberty Media right now wanting to grow the sport in the States, obviously, with the three races. And yes, attendance was up uh, over the entire weekend. They did raise attendance and it was up. Um, However, I still saw a lot of empty seats, especially for practice and qualifying. And I was thinking to myself, sneaky opportunity might go down next year to catch the race there because, um, I mean, it's hard to get tickets in Canada. You can't get tickets in Canada um, for the most part. So, I mean, that might be a good opportunity for us Canadians to go down and watch a race, but also at the same time, you know, viewership our TV viewership, I believe was down in the U S and I think it was just the U S. So don't, uh, don't quote me fully on that um, for this race on a year to year mark compared to last year's race. And that's not a tale, a good sign for formula one. And I think the main reason of this was the fact that we're seeing a championship battle that isn't really a battle right now. And it's kind of turning people away from four of the one and that drive to survive um, kind of peak excitement is starting to go away a bit. We're seeing, um, you know, that, that hype train around drive to survive, even though it's still a, you know, a great series, the hype train around it has, has gone down a bit as well. So it's a key year this year for formula one to try and keep that viewership up over a race to race weekend and they have to provide exciting races for that to happen. And I'm so glad you brought up the viewing numbers because this was a topic that we we're going to talk about on today's podcast. So just to, to fill into what Tyler was talking about there, just some of the specific numbers, this race was of course being shown in the United States on ABC as well, which is kind of the, I guess, parent company of ESPN as well. They're all owned by Disney. Uh, so the ABC network, the Miami Grand Prix earned a 0.9 rating and 1.646 million viewers for the full Miami window on Sunday, including the pre-race as well. That is down from a 1.08 rating plus 2.066 million viewers for the direct comparison from last year. So as you mentioned there, Tyler, they are definitely down a little bit in the numbers. And there were some mitigating factors there. You had the NBA playoffs on as well in that Sunday NASCAR as well, which actually NASCAR pulled a little bit higher in some of the TV ratings that I saw as well. So, and just to chime in on that NASCAR race, Chris, it was one of the best NASCAR races I've seen in a long time. It was a good weekend for NASCAR to have a race like that. It was a crazy, crazy race. Um, if you get the chance to watch the highlights, I highly recommend doing it. Wild race, but anyways, uh, continue. Yes, it was, and and that's all probably part and part of the fact of why some of the Miami Grand Prix numbers were down. And and this is a great question too, and I hope that people in the comments will chime in on this because are we starting to see the novelty of the U.S. market start to trail off here a little bit? This is only the second ever Miami Grand Prix. It's the first of three races in the United States this season. But I saw a lot of fans, 
usually even even more upset than I was because usually this is the stuff that I hate the most, you know, the celebrity and and the introductions, which I'm sure we can talk about later. I personally hate all that stuff just because I love the racing and I'm come to watch these drivers and I don't care for anything else in terms of that show. But a lot of people were really upset by the over-Americanization of Formula One. And so I'm, I'm really wondering that with the lack of good racing this year, not just in the fact of an uncompetitive championship, but the racing itself has been gotten worse than in 2022 because the raising of the floor for 2023 has made following a little bit more difficult. I just feel that the racing in terms of wheel-to-wheel isn't as good either. And I think we're seeing that with the fans. The fans are getting really disinterested in the early parts of the season. And when we get back to Miami just as a whole, I just wanted to post this because it's so interesting. This came from uh, Fastest Pit Stop here on Twitter. Tyler, you're thinking of going to the Miami Grand Prix next year. Definitely don't go for the hospitality food at the Miami Grand Prix because I'm just going to read off some of the prices here of uh, some different foods that we have here. So, Tyler, if you want an empanada duo, you're going to be paying $350. Uh, steam buns go for $300. You can get an F1 platter if you maybe go with somebody else for $500. Let's see. We got some uh, chilled things to go here. How about a water a watermelon and tomatillo salad? $250. That sounds pretty good for that. How about some main lobster rolls? $450. So uh, what do you want to order there, Tyler? I'm not, what can we afford? Um, We can afford a flight back to Canada, I think. Uh, that's that's about it. And that's just for the hospitality. That's not for like the general public, right? Like, That's correct. That is, uh, I'm reading off, this is a, yeah, a hospitality menu. So obviously, but this is again, the point too, right? Is that it's catered ridiculous. to, yeah, yeah, it is very ridiculous, but that's kind of the whole ridiculousness of the Miami Grand Prix. And I think the F1 races in America in general, where they're really catering to, the celebrities, like I saw so many teams and the official F1 accounts just always posting about what celebrities are in the garages or on the pit lanes and stuff like that. And that's the problem, right? Is that these celebrities and to a certain extent, the drive to survive era, they might be around for a year or two, maybe even three years. But when they're gone, what other fans are going to be left if the hardcore ones are left out? And I think that we're starting to see that slowly here, because if you thought the Miami Grand Prix was bad in terms of the extracurricular activities can you imagine what las vegas will be like i i actually am i'm really excited for vegas and there's a couple of reasons why uh one christian horner said my the the vegas grand prix is gonna be the biggest sports weekend ever i believe is what he said is that is that a i won't say quote unquote because i might be paraphrasing um but it was somewhere along those lines or the greatest sporting event ever, something like that. Um, so I, I want to, I'm excited to see what that hype is going to lead to. That's what I'm really excited, and I want to see what the track's going to race like as well. Like I, I will give it a chance. I'm not going to shun it out right away. If it provides great racing, then I'm all in. Um, but at the same time, Vegas is a wild place, and I mean, I'm lucky enough. I've watched enough. I mean, Vegas got their hockey team, which hockey obviously is very big. Here in Canada and in you know, some of our listeners as well, I'm sure, uh, will follow uh, hockey as well. But Vegas got a team recently, and they just do it differently there in Vegas. I mean, the in-game, in-event production is five times what everywhere else would be. It, it's going to be a crazy, crazy weekend. Um, so, if yeah, if people thought Miami is going to be bad, Vegas is just going to be unbelievable. But maybe it will be so 
unbelievable that it's good at the same time. Vegas, I haven't been disappointed in anything Vegas has done in terms of invent experiences and or or production or anything like that either. Um, they know how to do it right. And if anyone's going to do it right, it's probably going to be Las Vegas. So very keen. Um, and it, what's interesting is that they have one of the best racetracks in the world in Austin there still. I, I love uh, the Austin GP and the way that track races. So um, I think that has to stay 100%. And I, you know, I hope that they at least to keep that. Well, they will keep that. But I mean, two races, I think, in the U.S. is more than enough for me. What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> I would agree as well. I think two is enough because especially when we see historic Formula One countries, let's say, for example, as Germany, that has so many great racetracks, the fact that they don't have a race at all is uh, is pretty incredible. And in other countries like France, too, for example. So I, I would say two for a maximum in the U.S. is OK. Like I, I would be fine with that. You kind of have that hybrid street track kind of made up track in Miami, but then you have a Grand Prix classic circuit in in the circuit of the americas which i like i like austin i think austin has been a resounding success ever since it came onto the calendar it's a great track has provided us with some really solid races and i just feel like in texas you don't get that over kind of celebrity hollywoodization of formula one sure you get your american celebs that come out there as well but it just feels more like a classic grand prix weekend that we're used to as as you know hardcore f1 fans so all in all, I think that we all can tolerate the sort of extracurriculars that F1 puts on. But at the end of the day, the on-track action has to deliver. And I think that we saw with the 2023 Miami Grand Prix, when the on-track action didn't deliver, people really kind of gravitated toward criticizing all the extra other stuff that normally we would tend to tolerate more if, okay, at least the Grand Prix was exciting. But we had so many different things this weekend. Like they introduced the driver introductions, for example, which... If you're an IndyCar fan, for example, they do that at the Indy 500, sort of a tradition, but it's a very American thing, right? And we saw it at the 2017 US Grand Prix, Formula One tried it, but this was really the first time that I heard a almost a unanimous dislike from the drivers, except Lewis Hamilton, which I'm not surprised of why he would enjoy something like that, but all the drivers hated it. And Fernando Alonso, actually, I think it was Alonso who made the interesting comment about you know, why don't they do it at every race then? I mean, why is Miami or the U.S. more important than the fans at in Italy, for example, or the fans in Bahrain or any other places? I thought that was a very interesting comment. But the most important one, and I forget which driver it was, so comment below if you remember who it was. But they said that it was really annoying because it took away critical time pre-race that they would usually have with their engineers to just go over last-minute procedures, maybe you know, things that they picked up on on the laps to the grid that they want to discuss with the team. And that time really got taken away from the drivers. And I think that that stuff has to totally stop because it's already ridiculous to me how much work Formula One drivers has to do in terms of media, people bugging them for photos, sticking microphones in their face five minutes before they get into the car. I think that stuff really needs to be stopped. And the drivers do have to, I think, speak up for themselves and and really say like, hey, we need this time for ourselves. This is This is our time to go and work and and we're about to do something very dangerous and we need to focus and need to get in the zone we don't need all this extra stuff yeah it's really interesting i mean i come from watching a lot of nascar and i can't wait the comments are going well i can't compare nascar to formula one well you can for the um event production stuff if you want to say because nascar does it right and does it to i'd say 
one of the best sports um, leagues to, to do it in the world. Um, they just have it down to a science. But, I mean, they do driver intros for every single race, again, not excluding anyone. But they do it much before the race, before the countdown to Gree. They do it, you know, the drivers do. What they do is they do uh, the driver intros, and then they hop on a car or a truck or whatever um, and do a lap of the track and wait for the fans, and then they go to their garages and to their haulers or whatever and get ready for the race. So if not if uh pardon me, if Formula One were to do that, a great way to do it would be before the formation lap. Do all this stuff before the formation yeah, because it was after the formation lap. Oh not formation lap, sorry, the um lap to the grid to whatever the warm what do they call that? I think that's it, laps to the grid, warm up. Yep. Just laps to the yeah. So yeah, sorry. So laps to the grid. Um do it before that. So the drivers the like cars aren't even on the track anymore. You can do you can actually put the stage on the track. And because where it was in the pit lane, I believe, right? Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> I, yeah, I I'm trying to remember five drivers. Oh, okay, I'm trying to remember where exactly it was. Uh, I might be wrong, so uh, comment below if, if I am. But um, it, like you can actually put the you know put it on the track before the cars are even out there. The drivers do the little introduction, and then they hop down and they go back into the garage and get ready for their lap to the grid. And then after that, they still have kind of the normal procedure of, you know, even though microphones are in their faces, they have time with their engineer before the race. Um, so I think that's a, that would be a great solution. I think they should do it at every race. Uh, it, it goes off hitch-free by NASCAR. They don't do a crazy huge production about it. They set up a little stage, drivers walk up, they introduce, you know, driving the number uh, seven Ferrari car. It's Kimi Raikkonen, or like from Finland, it's Kimi Raikkonen, for example. Um, and then Kimmy does a little wave, you know, throws the sponsors off and that's about it. It's nice and easy. Um, so I, I think it's, yeah, was overdone for Miami, but can be done a lot better and should be done for every single race. And that's probably an unpopular opinion, but. And that's fine, but they just have to make that decision and organize it far better. I think the drivers more had a problem with that, the, the organization, and they said, okay, if you're going to do it at every race, but do it properly, like you just suggested. And keep in mind, they also have the driver's parade as well. So I think you have to pick one or the other instead of doing... So do it before the driver's parade. Like yeah. Exactly how, how NASCAR does it, where that's what it is. A driver's parade, they go and they hop into their little car and or the back of the pickup truck and wait to the fans. That's their driver's parade. So the intro is before the driver's parade. So you, you can do it before then. It's a great way to introduce the drivers before you're about to see them drive around the track. And um, you don't have to televise that too. I mean, it's, it's on the yep. F1 TV coverage, for example, but if you're just tuning mm -hmm. into the race, you'll just see the race. So it's, it's yep. more for the fans at the track, right? You, they get kind of a close up view of their drivers outside of the cockpit. So I, I like that, but yeah, that's a good idea. You could do the intro straight into the driver's parade. And then afterwards, you know, the drivers are free to do their preparations for, for the race. So yeah, I think that was a that was a big critique there that from from the drivers and fans as well. So um, we'll see what it's going to be like for Vegas and for Austin if they're going to do it. I, I highly doubt they'll do it for any of the European races, but I think it's something specific to America for uh, for obvious reasons. So that that was kind of the extracurriculars. But getting back into the race itself, you know, I watching it, I, I said, you know, it was actually kind of a decent race. It was. Certainly not the most exciting, certainly not the most boring either, but I thought that we had a, I mean, we had a lot of overtakes, that's for sure. 
Now, the issue with the race that I had was that they kept cutting to a lot of overtakes and battles. Of course, we had Verstappen coming through the field. We had some decent overtakes in the midfield as well. The problem was, was that especially at the end of the race when we got to see that it was clear Verstappen was going to win. It was very anticlimactic because we thought we'd get much more of a battle between the two Red Bulls. So I think that was the problem is a lot of the overtaking was done on DRS, wasn't many you know overtakes under braking. And just the fact that we knew that, okay, Red Bull is going to win, that was kind of the, one of the reasons why it really hurt the race. The same, same problem as we had in, in Azerbaijan as well. So... I, you said earlier that you don't see any team other than Red Bull winning this year. Certainly looks like that at the moment. I think maybe we're looking towards Monaco, where the Aston Martin in the hands of Fernando Alonso might be able to pull off a shock. I hope so, at least. But it's certainly looking that way because the two teams that have really disappointed me this season, really one specifically has been Ferrari, just because they have regressed so far from 2022. I can't even really believe it. And after Miami, it just looked even worse. And, you know, Mercedes as well, they're about kind of started the same way as they did 2022. But looking how they finished last season, I thought they'd be getting off to the start much faster in 2023. And they haven't done that either. And Aston Martin has taken over that number two spot. So that's just been the disappointing thing for me is we're only five races into the season. And we already know who's going to win the championship in terms of the constructor. And with all due respect to Sergio Perez, I believe he will be much closer this season. But Verstappen, again, showed why he's a unanimous favorite for this title this year again. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. Um, it's It's been very disappointing, especially, like you said, from Ferrari. I mean, they were almost non-existent this past weekend. And I like obviously a couple of big mistakes from Charles, um, who showed a pretty decent pace i'd say throughout the race and i think could have maybe challenged for 100 percent would have challenged for a podium but could have challenged for second i think i mean there is really interesting if he were to start it up there um but it obviously for the crashes the two crashes he made mistakes that he made um obviously that didn't happen so um it, yeah it's been very disappointing and mercedes you would hope would bounce back a lot better than what they have as well so um, Rebels just, you know, absolutely killing it, doing it right, and, and you can't blame them for it. I mean, what are you going to say? They're ruining the sport. I mean, we had Mercedes dominate for so long <laughs> as well. Like, like it's, it's both sides of the coin here. Um, and maybe what needs to happen is is the FIA kind of put those sanctions like they did on Mercedes near the end of their raid and try to limit Red Bulls advantage which i mean obviously if you're red bull you're not gonna like but again you have to think of the sport as a whole in general and the healthiness of it and it's really tough for us fans too because we had such an amazing 2021 season with a full season long close battle and not just between the championship leaders but also throughout the field we had a lot of different drivers scoring podiums some surprise pole positions as well that kept it entertaining then we moved into 2022 with this new era, a lot of optimism. We started the year off fantastically, close battles between Leclerc and Verstappen, closer racing. We thought, wow, this is great. And then it just all really fell apart. And then 2023, again, you come with that new optimism to say, okay, we think Ferrari's going to take that step closer. Red Bull has some penalties with the aerodynamic uh, restrictions that they have. Mercedes finished this reason so strong in 2022. And then within the span of like two to three races... 
everything again, you get disappointed as a fan and you really try and look for the positives. The only positives for me in 2023 have been, of course, Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin. They've kept it really exciting to me. And, and I'll have to be honest with you guys. They're really one of the only reasons why I'm tuning in to watch these races, because I'm just enjoying how well Alonso is driving not just the fact of how he's driving on track, but just the little comedic bits like you saw in Miami, for example, where he's like, oh, nice move by Lance into turn one. And just these little funny kind of quirky things on the radio, but just shows how much fun he's having. So he's kind of saving this season for me. I hope that as we get after the summer break and maybe we start to finally see Red Bull feeling the uh, the restrictions with the penalties, but but I don't know at this point. I mean, I, I hate to be that that person on this podcast. I know we're supposed to keep you guys you know, optimistic and hopeful about this season, but I think we have to just face face the reality at this point. And we've experienced this before. This is very reminiscent to me of the 2019 season where Mercedes, I think, started the first seven races of the year with the 1-2 finish, and we all knew what happened after that. Yeah, I think that's a, a great example. And maybe it's the fans that need to be optimistic and get us uh, on the other side this time instead of us trying to, to keep everyone optimistic too because... I have the same feelings, Chris, and we saw, like you said, this play out in 2019, and look how it ended. It was a, it was a tough one for everyone, and uh, it's in terms of, you know, viewing, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't tough for Mercedes. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these next, you know, few races kind of move on and what the summer break can do. I mean, with all that arrow, um, that wind tunnel time that uh, Aston Martin still have, can, can they? Can they hit that next step? Can they you know, make a couple upgrades that will make the back half of the season interesting? And will Alonso get a race win? I'm Honestly, yeah, like you said, I'm tuning in to see if Alonso is going to win a race. That's pretty much all I'm tuning in for as well. So um, it helps that I'm Canadian and or we're Canadian and want to you know, see the Canadian team. I'm calling it Canadian team. Do well <laughs> uh, with Aston Martin. So um, that also plays a factor. It sure does, because where would we be without Aston Martin? Let's say if Aston Martin was you know, where they were last season, man, it would be even more boring. But it's it's been like that for all the teams. I was looking at a comparison of the standings from the top five this season at this point and last season at this point, and mostly all the teams are doing worse. I think Mercedes are the only ones that are kind of level of where they are, but all the other teams like McLaren have got fewer points. Ferrari certainly have fewer points. Alpine, all these different teams have, have much fewer points than last season. So it's just kind of been a rough start to, to F1 in, in 2023. But let's hope. We've got a string of a triple header coming up. We've got Imola, Monaco, and Spain. Uh, very interesting with the Monaco one in the middle there. I think, again, chance for maybe a shock result there in Monaco. But Imola and, and Spain, I think, are going to be very favorable to Red Bull as well. So... Let's see. It's uh, we got a lot of races to go, and there's a, there's a lot of chances for this thing to turn around. But unfortunately, that's the most disappointing part. Is realistically looking at it, even as an expert in the sport, if it wants to look at it, or even just as a, as a fan like us, you can tell that there's no other team right now who can challenge for the championship. That that I can tell you the most. So we'll see. But um, maybe some of my final thoughts on the Miami Grand Prix, and then I'll get yours, and then we can uh, kind of wrap up this podcast slowly. I made a quick video about this actually just the other day because uh, Yuki Tsunoda has been a driver who's really impressed me this season, but has flown under the radar. And you got another P11 in Miami, just had some brilliant overtakes too, uh, that some of which we didn't get to see on the live feed. 
But Sonoda, I think, was uh, had a really another solid race again. Two point scores in 2023, P10 in Azerbaijan and Australia. Very close to the points this time around, but just couldn't get it. But it's it's a good result for him just because Alpha Tauri is kind of in this limbo situation of they might even get sold. They just uh, lost their team principal. They're going to get a new one for next season. And then Nick DeVries is on the hot seat. And I, I got to give an apology to Yuki Sonoda because I was one of the guys at the beginning of the season that said, you know, Yuki Sonoda is going to have to uh, watch his seat in 2023 because Nick DeVries is coming. He's going to take over the team, you know, reigning formula or uh, former Formula E F2 champion as well. But I was completely wrong because DeVries has uh, had a really rough go of it so far. Yeah, you put me in the same boat as you uh, because I had the exact same mentality. And you're right. I honestly haven't really noticed Sonoda, um, but you're right. Looking at his results, it is a sneaky good performance from Yuki. Um, compared to especially relative to his teammate right now. So, no, kudos to Yuki. And, um, you know, I, I saw, you know, some positives for Alpine as well, the double points finish here uh, in Miami. And I thought Esteban and Pierre Gasly uh, both had very good races themselves. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see that kind of mid-pack. We're seeing a little bit of, of hope there for in terms of, you know, some good stories coming out. And, uh, you know, hopefully Yuki can, you know, make the best of what's been a very good start to a season for him and kind of proving that, Hey, no, no, no. I, I have the talent to be able to be the number one driver at a Formula one team. And you mentioned Alpine there. That's a kind of a perfect segue. I'm not sure if you've seen some of the comments from Alpine CEO, Laurent Rossi basically called out his team saying it's unacceptable the start that they've had and the kind of the run of form that they've been on and that, uh, you know, things need to change quickly or else, changes will be made in, in in essence, just paraphrasing what he said. But what are your opinions on that from the CEO of a team to kind of call out his team managers, to call out the rest of his employees so publicly like that? And especially for a team like Alpine, because I think that Laurent Rossi, I think, has to take a lot of accountability as well. When you look at the turbulence that that team has gone through in the last few years, it's no reason Fernando Alonso left Alpine, and there's no reason that Oscar Piastri left for McLaren as well, because Alpine has had a very rough start to this season as well. But what do you make of, of him calling out the team like that in such a public fashion? It, it's a wake-up call for everyone. Um, you know, you could call out your team via you know a team meeting at, at, your, um, at your garage or your factory, I should say, or you know, have all these you know, meetings or emails or whatever it is. But when you go out to the media in public, you mean business. And basically, it's put up or shut up at, shut up at this point. Um, we see this with sports teams you know, throughout different leagues when their manager calls out the team in public. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, something's you know, really going on behind the scenes. And usually, usually there's a good reaction um, in terms of bounce back by the team. And we'll see if that's the case with Alpine. Obviously, it's a little harder with Formula One. You can't just like bounce back and all of a sudden you're P4 or 5. You know, you have that to, to you know, make that development uh, with the parts and uh, making sure you have the right setups and all that stuff as well. But in the end, Chris, it all stems from the top. And if the job isn't getting done right, you know, major changes are going to be made. Well, maybe the major change needs to be made at the top. Who, who knows? Um Obviously, none of us are inside the Alpine factory. We have no clue what's going on or what the dynamics are, or what's underperforming. And, and maybe there's a certain section that he's calling out that, you know, he 
didn't do publicly, but is also secretly, you know, everyone inside the team knows that's who he's calling out. So um, lots of uh, to read into there. And I think a lot of answers that won't be answered uh, until later on this season, you know, maybe midway through the season um, when we start seeing potentially some people being let go or we start seeing Alpine turn around and have a phenomenal second half season uh, for them. Uh, Marsafnauer could be on the hot seat once again. I mean, he's just recently joined the team not that long ago. Could be a team principal change, but you never know. I agree with your, with what you just said there too. I think you have to maybe look from the top for the accountability because you see the path that Alpine has been on. But I think the decisions from Alonso and Piastri have been vindicated. And we see obviously the success Aston Martin is having versus the season that Alpine is having. Make up your own opinions from that as well. Uh, so do you have anything else, Tyler, that you want to discuss, maybe not even related to the Miami Grand Prix, something you maybe saw in the F1 world that you wanted to uh, discuss? Um, no, nothing Nothing as of late. I mean, I think we're trying to figure out who Honda is going to line up with uh, during the next engine um, kind of uh, shuffle, you know, I don't know, regulation that comes out. Um, so that's a, just something I'm keeping an eye on, and I'm slowly keeping an eye on you know this whole Andretti Motorsports, if that's actually going to be a thing coming up, it's been eerily quiet for on those both those teams fronts, along with uh, um, um, Chevrolet entering. It's been a little bit uh, Chevrolet GM, I should say, entering. That's uh, been a little quiet on that front as well, um, along with you know, you know potentially an extra team coming in. Everything along that has been very quiet. So I'm slowly just keeping my eye on and, and listening to that stuff. And hopefully we have some more news coming out about uh, potential team changes or or you know engine changes or alignments that will be happening in the future. So I mean that's what I'm keeping interest about. I mean you know, state of what's going on right now on track. Yeah, you're right. I haven't seen much on that front pretty much since the preseason when we first initially talked about it. So not much news to go on there, but yeah, I haven't really seen much either following the Miami Grand Prix, just a couple of things here and there in terms of team performance and upgrades. And I think we're going to see more upgrades coming at the next race. Uh, of course, at the Emilio Romagna Grand Prix at the Imola circuit. And then as we head toward into Monaco as well, which of course, Monaco, very specific track. So we're going to see maybe slightly the teams be closer in terms of performance. But I think that Barcelona is going to be another uh, exaggeration of the gap between Red Bull and the rest of the field as well. So not much else going on in the F1 world, but that was why we wanted to bring this podcast to. I know it is uh, much later than uh, usual following the race, but still, it's uh, this is the only time we can sync our schedules with our situation. So we appreciate everybody uh, sticking to us with the channel and, and all of us, all of you guys who have followed us. And uh, yeah, Tyler, if you don't have anything else, then uh, we could wrap up for episode 136. Yeah, just excited for Imola because I just love that track. So I always love seeing F1 cars race around that track. So I will be tuning in no matter what, just because I love watching this spectacle of F1 cars around Imola. Me as well. I, I really enjoy that track, and I'm super happy that they kept it on the calendar since they first uh, brought it in a few years ago. So a great track, and uh, hopefully one day we'll be able to go in person as well, because I think it's in uh, a beautiful area of Italy as well, and the track itself is very historical. So it'd be nice to go. But yep, that'll do it for us then on episode 136, the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast, guys. We'll hopefully be with you uh, after the Imola Grand Prix, breaking down the action, all three of us with Shaker as well. 
but you can always keep tabs on what we're doing. We are on YouTube, guys. So whether you're listening to us uh, on an audio platform or if you're watching on YouTube, you can head over to our YouTube channel, The Backmarkers F1 Show. And that is where you're going to find all of our content throughout the season, whether we're doing race previews, analysis videos, and also go to the shorts tab on uh, the YouTube channel because I've started to just post little short videos on different things happening in the F1 world, maybe on an off week where it's a little bit quieter in the news, but we'll still throw up a video every now and again. And make sure to enable those notifications, and that way you can never miss when we post a video. And same as all across the social media platforms, Instagram, BMF1 Show, Twitter, BMF, un, BMF1 underscore show. You can follow us there for all of our latest updates. Don't hesitate to uh, comment down below on anything that we talked about in this podcast, any suggestions that you might have for content you'd like to see in the future, and any other F1-related questions that you might have. Please comment down below. Subscribe, like, you know all the good things. Tyler, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. We missed Shaker for today, but uh, always glad to catch up with you and talk some F1. Always a good time. Oh, I always love talking F1, and especially with you, Chris. So it's uh, it's always good to get together, and hopefully we'll have a, a lot more uh, interesting stuff to talk about uh, in future uh, future races here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fingers crossed for a non-Red Bull winner for the next one or the next yeah. three, but we'll see what <laughs> happens, guys. All right, I hope everyone has an excellent day wherever you are in the world. Take care of yourselves. We will be seeing you soon for the next edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. For Tyler McDonald, Chris Cato, and for Shaker Barty, we appreciate all the support. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. It's bye for now.